In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, the account we consider for today is the gospel lesson, the miraculous catch of fish, and the calling of Peter. And now, as I was studying this text this week, uh, what I do to prepare oftentimes is I listen to other sermons on the text. And uh, what I did is I listened to a number of sermons from pastors around uh, close by to us on this very text. Uh, Now, nearly every one of those sermons uh, preached something like this, that this is the day of Peter's conversion, uh, that this is the day he becomes a Christian, the miraculous catch of fish. And therefore, just as God called Peter as a Christian to become a fisher of men, therefore, God calls all Christians to be fishers of men. And so for them, the text is calling all Christians to be evangelists, that is to share the gospel with people or something like this. Now, I'm not against evangelism. Uh, in fact, it is true that, I, that you should all make a good confession of the faith in the world, no matter what. And you should not shrink back from that task. And I've preached about this before. I'm not against that at all. But what I'm saying is that today's gospel lesson is not about that. That is not the point of this text. And the reason is because the text is not the first time that Peter met Jesus. And neither is this text about Peter's conversion. So Peter already knew Jesus. He was called to be a Christian shortly after Jesus' baptism. Look up John chapter 1, uh, verse 40 through 42, if you want to read it for yourself. You'll see that Andrew, Peter's brother, heard John the Baptist say, Behold, here is the Lamb, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he tells his brother, Look, I found the Messiah. And then Peter goes and he meets Jesus, and Jesus changes his name to, uh, to Cephas, that is to Peter. Uh, Simon's name to Peter. Uh, Even more, the Bible tells us that Peter was there when Jesus did his first miracle at the wedding at Cana. Uh, And the text says this, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples, that was including Peter, believed in him. So Peter didn't just know Jesus, he actually believed in him, which means Peter was a Christian Already, And now add to this the fact that from this time, uh, Peter saw Jesus perform many other miracles. And in fact, Luke chapter 4, the chapter right before the lesson uh, today, we see that Jesus went to Peter's house. And Peter witnessed a miracle in his own home and and Jesus healed his mother-in-law from her sickness. And all of this has happened before the gospel lesson for today, the miraculous catch of fish. So that is the context. So this isn't the first time Peter meets Jesus and neither is it the first time he believes in Jesus. And that is because this text is not about Peter being called to be a Christian. This text is about Jesus calling Peter to be a pastor, a preacher of the word. And when we get to the end of the miracle, we know this because Jesus tells Peter, from now on, you are going to catch men. And so from this point, Peter has a new vocation. He's no longer a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. And so Jesus calls Peter not only to be a hearer of the word, but to be a speaker, a preacher of the word. And this is his call. Uh, This is the, the event, the thing that takes Peter Uh, away from just uh, a hearer of the word 
listening to it to now having to preach it and speak it. He leaves his old job, the net, the boat, and all of the fish, and now he follows Jesus to be formed as a pastor. And this is the beginning of what you would call his seminary training under Christ with the Lord. That is what this Sunday is about. Peter's call into the ministry. Now, I and a few other pastors here uh, today have some insight into what that is sort of like to receive a call to be a pastor. Uh, God hasn't called all of you, the majority of you, or the majority of the world to be pastors, but through you, God has called me to be your pastor. And I, so, so, I, so I know what it feels like. And on the day of my call, on the day of my ordination, I cannot tell you how much of a fearful and sobering thing it was for me uh, and for all pastors. Uh, your heart is beating, it's in your throat, and you feel you're, like you're going to pass out every five minutes. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I love the word of God. Uh, I love theology. I love pure doctrine. Just like you, I cannot get enough of it. But in addition to this joy at ordination, at the call and ordination, there's an added burden and weight that every pastor must carry. That they have to not only guard their life, but also their doctrine closely. And so that means that I, have to, that I need to learn theology not only for myself and for my family, but for you and for your sake. And so that means that I, uh, <clears throat> that I have to preach in such a way that you learn and understand what the Bible says. And I'm not allowed to pick and choose what I want to say or avoid certain topics. God has called pastors to pre- preach the full counsel of God to teach them to observe all that I have commanded, whether people like it or not. And that is a frightening thing to do. That is a very frightening thing to do, to say, I'm about to say something that might anger you and you're free to leave. Where my livelihood depends upon that. Uh, and yet pastors don't, Faithful pastors don't shrink back from the task. Even if they get backlash, people get angry when they threaten uh, their livelihood. God has called pastors and God has called me to preach the word, to trust him to provide for me my daily bread and for my family. And on top of that, not only do I have to preach well, but I have to preach the truth. And God will judge me and all pastors on how we preach. James chapter 3 says it. Not many of you should become teachers, that is pastors. My brothers, because you know that we who teach and preach will be judged with greater strictness. So everything that I just said is what goes through a faithful pastor's mind when he becomes a pastor. And every day of his life that he is a pastor, every time he speaks or acts, and that is why it's humbling and sobering and frightful Uh, frightening and joyful to be a pastor. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to focus on the text. In in this miracle, Jesus not only calls Peter into the ministry to be a pastor, but he also teaches Peter how he's going to be a pastor through the miracle itself. And this is what's amazing. The miracle wasn't random. It was set up. It was uh, prepared. It was done intentionally by the Lord Jesus himself to get a message through to Peter that he wouldn't have understood in any other way. And Jesus used this entire miracle as sort of, a, uh, as sort of an object lesson for Peter. And we know this because of what Jesus says at the end, that you'll be a fisher of men. So 
we know the entire thing is ordained and orchestrated by Jesus. And from what I can tell, there are two things that he's trying to get through to Peter. Two things that we can get from this. And the first is this, that a pastor's own skills and methods and techniques will not determine his success as a pastor. And the second is that a pastor's own goodness and purity and righteousness will not determine his success as a pastor. So the first point, a pastor's own skills, methods, and techniques will not determine his success as a pastor. Peter is an expert fisherman. He labors all night to catch fish. He, he used all of his experience, every skill and method he has to come up uh, to, to catch fish, and he comes up with nothing. And then the very next day, Jesus says, put out into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. And all of human knowledge says that is not a good way to fish. Not this, for this type of fishing, that's not how you do it, Jesus. You, don't, you have no idea what you're talking about. But Peter says this. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. And then they caught so many fish that their nets were breaking. Another boat came in to help and their nets were breaking. And both ships began to sink. Why is it? That Peter spends the entire day and night using everything in his repertoire to catch fish and comes up with nothing. It is because of Jesus. And why is it that the next day Peter uses all the wrong fishing techniques and methods, goes out into the deep, lets down the net, catches more fish than he's ever caught in his life? It is because of Jesus. It is because Jesus is in control of that. He determines the success and the outcome. It is not his doing. It is his doing and not Peter's. And this is true. And this is the point. It is true not only of Peter catching fish, but it is true that the same way is this is how Peter will catch men. It is not by his own efforts, his methods or techniques, but at his word. And that is the lesson. The boat is the church. Peter and all pastors after him are the preachers. The net is the word of God. And the miracle that draws men into that net, into his church, is the power and the timing of God himself and him alone. We need to remember that. Before going on to the second point, we need to remember this. Because for the past 200 years or so, the American church bought into an idea that Christians are made the same way customers are made. And so seminaries and pastors and congregations, they started to read sociology and business books alongside of the Bible and to find a method or technique on how to grow the church. And pastors focused on teaching members uh, more so to make a sales pitch for Christianity or to... in a way to convince or persuade people to buy into this, to buy into the church. And so the main idea was that if you just use the right script or the right method, the right technique uh, that has so much wild success for business, then these same techniques and methods are going to use to convert the sinful heart to genuine faith in Christ. And uh, so what churches did is they cut out the liturgy, they threw out good hymnody, Uh, They opted for contemporary worship or modern worship, all to move people as as a way to move people 
to join. As if these things were going to be the thing, that the, the linchpin, the thing that moved them to Christ. And uh, we, we've seen poor congregations spend their last penny on buying methods or rebranding or mood lighting uh, technology and so forth in an effort to grow the church. Now, I admit that to my sinful nature, all of those things sort of make sense. Uh, And at times, you may even see it work. Some people might come around or something. But this is not the way the Lord teaches Peter to fish for men or to catch them. It is not the way the Lord teaches his church to catch men. None of those things that I mentioned before really work. Uh, They bring people by for a time and then they leave shortly after. But nevertheless, even if it did work, it is not the way the Lord taught pastors to grow the church. Jesus teaches us to grow the church in the same way he taught Peter how to fish that is at his word. You do what the Lord says. You throw out the net. You proclaim the word. And then in the Lord's doing, in the Lord's timing, He will gather into his church good fish and bad fish and clean and many and few fish and fish that have a tendency to flop out of the boat back into the water again and fish that weren't looking to be caught or be here today, so on and so forth. Some of you have been brought to this church to confess this faith without even trying to. It was not on your calendar where you scheduled, this is going to be the day that I become a Lutheran. This is going to be the day that I find the gospel. Uh, As far as you're concerned, you just stumbled across it. Others of you may have intentionally looked for it, thirsting and hungering for this, and didn't find it until now. Some of you maybe found something online. Some of you had a friend or a member tell you something. Others just showed up one day because you drove by. You can go around. In fact, you can go around in this congregation and ask every single person how they got here. All of you. Uh, And I know many of the stories of how you've gotten here. And uh, how you've got to this exact church at this exact time. And you will get as many answers as you have people. (laughs) It is all different. And every time someone comes to the church and joins, I am surprised. I'm used to it, but I'm I'm always surprised. Always. Uh, You just show up. Uh, For me, you come out of nowhere. Every Sunday until now, you were not here. And then then one Sunday, all of a sudden, you are. And then you love the word of God. And you love it. You, you hunger and thirst for it. You're happy when you hear the gospel. Uh, and it's humbling to me because it proves that I had nothing to do with it. That we had nothing to do with it. Uh, when I arrived, we had 20-some members. Now we have over 100. And there's no method or technique or product or thing that brought you here. It was the only thing constant through the years was the word of God. The miracle is that the Lord timed and orchestrated everything in your life and everything in ours so that you would be caught by the word here today. And so you're not here by accident. It is the Lord's doing. Now, I I do want to show you that this isn't some sort of humble or modest or pious opinion that I'm just taking up. This is something that Lutherans have said since Luther himself 
Uh, in a sermon from March 10th, 1522, Dr. Luther stood up in the pulpit and said this uh, when everyone was saying, how did the Reformation, how is the Reformation so successful? How is this all working out? What did you do? Go, d- d- tell us the secret. What happened? And Luther uh, then, uh, after hearing all this, preaches this part. This is an excerpt from the sermon. He says this. He says, for the word created heaven and earth and all things. The word must do this thing and not we poor sinners. In short, I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself for, as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught and preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank a Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. So why was the Reformation successful? Why is it that here, here we are in Winter Garden, um, thousands of miles away and uh, hundreds of years removed from this event? And still, we are hearing the effects of it, the rediscovery of the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith alone, apart from our works. How is that the case? Someone argue it's timing, it's uh, the printing press, the political situation. But Luther says it's none of these things. He says it is the word. The word did it all. Okay, the, the second point. Uh, a pastor's own goodness, his purity and his righteousness will not determine his success as a pastor. Some, some denominations believe that it is based on the pastor's goodness, his own uh, charisma, his own uh, personality, his own person, that that is the thing, his own goodness, his character is the thing that is going to, to, to grow the church. Uh, and it is a temptation to think that pastors are some sort of different breed of a person. Uh, So let me be clear. The office of the ministry, the vocation of a pastor that is preaching the word is a different kind of a thing from everything else in the world because it's not a job that man created, but it is a job that God created. And so that is why the office itself is unique. There's only one and only ministry that is unique in this way. And the man who is in that office um, is... the man who is in the office is not unique. The temptation is to think that if it is such a unique and wonderful office and calling, then it must be occupied by such a wonderful and unique man. And that is wrong. I say this often, but no man deserves to be or has the right to be a pastor. All men who are pastors are truly unworthy of the thing that they are called to do. Understand what I'm saying. There are qualifications to be a pastor. Yes, the scriptures say this. And men must meet those qualifications in First and Second Timothy and Titus and those pastoral epistles to become and remain a pastor. That is true. But what I am saying is this. Even the men who meet those qualifications and are pastors don't deserve to be pastors. They have not earned it. It is not their right. And that is because no man, not even the angels of heaven, are good enough or have earned a right to preach the precious, life-giving, eternal, holy word of God. To preach the gospel that is unbelievably beautiful. 
that God forgives your sins freely. The fact that, we, that, the fact that God has even allowed us to hear these words is, is a miracle. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. And yet, the fact that he has called men to preach this. Uh, no man's lips are good enough to do it. And yet, the Lord has chosen to call sinful mortal men like Peter and John and Paul and old pastors and uh, his unworthy servant like me to preach a precious word of God. Why? Because the Lord was pleased to do it. He chose to give his life-giving word in this way that through the mouth of a poor, miserable sinner, you would receive eternal life. Uh, in fact, just a side, a side note uh, or footnote here. This is why the pastors dress the way they do. Uh, in clerical collars. Uh, they wear all black uh, to show that, they, that he is just as well a poor and miserable sinner, as sinful as the next guy. And yet the only white part is around his throat, uh, around his voice box, to show that he has been called to speak pure things uh, to you, holy things. Uh, now, this is something a pastor has to constantly remind himself of, uh, himself of uh, or else he becomes conceited and puffed up. Uh, <clears throat> so what pastors do, many, uh, I can't speak for all of them, but what many pastors do, uh, what they will do is before the service, uh, they will do something uh, kind of similar all throughout the world, uh, these Lutheran pastors. And when I'm in the sacristy alone before the service, uh, I'm getting vested, but I'm also praying, and I'm praying a specific prayer, and I do this every single Sunday. And a lot, I know a lot of pastors that do this. Uh, and they pray the prayer, once again, that our brother Martin Luther wrote. And it's this. He says, Lord God, you have made me a pastor and teacher in the church. And you see how unfit I am to administer rightly this great and responsible office. And had I been without your aid and counsel, I would surely have ruined it long ago. Therefore, I invoke you. How gladly do I desire to yield and consecrate my heart and mouth to this ministry. I desire to teach the congregation. I too desire ever to learn and to keep your word my constant companion and to meditate upon it earnestly. Use me as your instrument in your service. Only do not forsake me. For if I am left to myself, I will certainly bring it all to destruction. Amen. So I want to make this clear. When Jesus tells Peter, <clears throat> don't be afraid, he is not telling Peter, look, don't worry about it. Uh, I know you're sinful and all this stuff, but you're not as bad as others. So that's why I called you. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is this. It says, the only occupation in this world where you need to be perfect is that of the Savior of the world. And that position is already taken by me. So you don't have to save sinners. And you don't have to rescue people from hell. This vocation, the work that a pastor does, does not depend upon you, Peter. The growth of the church does not depend upon you. And it certainly does not depend upon your goodness. It depends upon me. I will save the world. I will rescue people from hell. I will grow my church. And all I have called you to do is preach the word. You preach it in season and out of season. You preach it in the pulpit, out of the pulpit. Preach everything I've taught you. Tell them everything I told you. Know that I will labor, though, and do the work. And while you sleep and eat and live your life, 
I will convert their hearts through that word. And I will bring people from the ends of the earth to gather into my church. So, dear saints, God has given you his word here today through the mouth of an unworthy and poor, miserable sinner. And for this, all the glory and honor goes to God alone. That you're not here by your own reason or strength, and neither are you here because of the pastor's reason or strength or anything else. You are here because the Holy Spirit has called you by the gospel. And for this, we will remain steadfast and faithful to the Lord, no matter how the world changes or how the world says and tries to convince us there's a better way to grow the church. The one thing we need the most is the one thing we already have, which is his word. So the same God who spilled his blood on the cross to make you his is the same God who brought you here into his church. And so the growth and the maintenance of this church depends upon Jesus, the success of the preaching depends upon Jesus. The conversion of hearts depends on Jesus. The baptizing of babies depends upon Jesus. The strengthening of faith and the fellowship in this church depends only upon Jesus. And your salvation, your eternal life, your peace, and your everlasting joy depends upon the Jesus who gave his life for you, who gave everything in your stead, who suffered everything in your stead and gave everything for your sake. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.